Oh, two weeks ago, he fired a bullet at his competitor, Binance. When Binance saw this, they said, oh, you know, we've lost faith in FTX tokens. So we're going to go ahead and dump all of our FTX token. Ooh. And the then second that. they dumped that, it dropped the value of the FTX token. People who use FTX as their platform to trade all start losing confidence that they're going to be able to make their withdrawals. They start withdrawing money. And all at once, in the course of like two or three days, $7 billion starts getting withdrawn. The token continues to plummet. So which they couldn't sell and then pay out. Yeah. Then they can't sell and pay people out. And so then... They put a freeze halt on withdrawals from the FTX platform. That's the equivalent of you going to your bank and them closing the old like shutter and saying no more withdrawals. All right, back again to the Master Keys podcast. I'm Chandler Halliburton. I'm Neil Andrino. See, I ramped it up there a little bit. Yeah, you're all Came in up. low and I ramped it up. Uh, this is a real estate investment podcast. We talk about, well, everything, the markets, the housing situation, uh, just wealth growth in general, but coming at it from our perspective, which is landlords, investors, and real estate salespeople. Trying to make it fun and educational. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate all the support. You guys are really chiming in down below. We love it. As always, like, follow, comment. Uh, some of the ideas that you guys have posted down below, we've been taking those on, uh, including people asking about the craziest things that have ever happened to us. And you asked me this last time, and yeah. I didn't have one. So you've come back today with something super, super spicy. Sounds uh, like maybe it, it wasn't it, spicy for you. It sounds like it was a little spicy for your client. It. I don't want to refer to her as my client. <laughs> I feel slightly awkward. I might be blushing. People who are listening to this can't see this, but I'm probably blushing a little bit here because I'm, I'm not sure how comfortable I am talking about this. It's not... Anyway, well, we'll get to that at the end, but you put me on the spot and I, I forgot about this story. Someone uh, just got a little it horny. It was a little... It was... There was a guitar involved. It was involved. a little spicy. I'll, I'll, have, I'll give another crazy story too. I, I got lots. I've only been in it for a few years, but I feel like yeah. that is the business. It is constant craziness. Yeah, Outside care. of that, we're going to go over the, the usual inflation numbers and uh, interest numbers. Oh, we I also have some crazy changes that happen at Airbnb. Another one I yeah. think everyone's going to be interested in, and a few of a few guys asked us to talk about it, is where the hell did FTX go? What happened there with that crypto exchange? Yeah. Sam Bankman, what's going on? So we're going to break that whole thing down and try and explain it from our perspective and see uh, see what you guys think. Yeah, and some people out there, whether you're not that familiar with crypto, I think it's still interesting to see what's going on in this space. And, and this has rattled the crypto industry to its core and caused its credibility to be questioned again. For the 20th time or 300th yeah. time. I yeah. don't even know anymore. But... Um, yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll get to some of those uh, those funny stories and, and obviously that story. But um, I want to start actually with with Airbnb stuff. Okay. Um, because I was curious, you know, we both have Airbnbs. A lot of people ask us about Airbnbs. We actually are just in the process of putting up uh, a Patreon about what we look for uh, when we're investing in, in short-term rentals. But I think everyone out there has been at Airbnbs. Do you still go to Airbnbs? We talked about this and how you maybe you're more of a hotel guy. Big surprise there. <laughs> So I still go to Airbnbs, but I think the only reason I started to kind of switch, originally I went to Airbnb because I felt there was a cost savings because I found hotels yeah, were 200 yeah. bucks and I could find an Airbnb for $79. And that was kind of originally always what it was. And then Airbnb shifted its model to kind of sell the experience. And so I started to get interested in Airbnbs because I was like, oh, like I can rent a whole house with a hot tub and a garage. And so we can go on a ski trip and we can keep the car inside and we have all of our own private space. And mm -hmm. if 10 of us go, it's not like we have a bunch of hotel rooms. Right. Yeah. yeah and there true. ends up being a cost savings again a lot of the time because if there's 10 of you in a house that costs two grand, it's, it's still cheaper than a hotel. Yeah. Um, but I, so I still do. But I I tend to double check now. I tend to like look and then I'm like, okay, if I'm only here for two nights and it's three fifty a night, um, 
maybe let's go to a hotel. And then there's usually a Holiday Inn for 179. And well, I'm, and then there's all the crap of like, man, they have often very little flexibility about checking out late. Which yes. I go to a hotel. I yes. check in and I go, and I would like to get a extended stay in the morning, like <laughs> right away when I'm checking in. Can I, I do that? Can I do a late checkout till tomorrow? Yeah, like always. <laughs> um, and then just the crap of like, oh, you're gonna meet Kevin uh, down the street <laughs> at you know the Starbucks to get your key. You meet um, Kevin, you find out it's not actually his house. Yeah, he's like, no, no, this is, I'm just watching for my buddy. Like the whole experience, I've cooled on a little bit, and they were getting ripped on Twitter for like the other two things. Ridiculous. Also, is if you're there for more than a couple days. You lose cleaning service. So, like, right. I've rented a house for yeah. a week, and then, like, day four, I'm like, this house is filthy. Like, this is just an yeah. absolute mess, and I really just want them to come clean it. Yeah. Um, and you don't get that. And then also restaurants and stuff. It's kind of nice having room service or a restaurant downstairs. Not all the time, but there's sometimes when you get back and you're just like, now I have to go find food to to get here. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it's like a paid ad that we're doing right now for hotels. But, um yeah, so uh, certainly if a hotel is an option now, I'm loving the hotels again, uh, the hotels again. But there's a lot of secondary markets where you can't necessarily find a hotel and some of these nope. more tourist destinations where the Airbnb is great. However, having said that, uh, people have had beef with them, and I alluded to it a little bit with some of the weird quirks. Um, but Airbnb has just announced a bunch of, of changes, um, saying that they've heard the feedback from their consumers. Uh, and what they're doing, first of all, is they're showing more transparency in the pricing. Because if you're searching for places based on night, it'll it'll sort them uh, price per night. However, then they would get you with different places would have different cleaning fees. So the place that you thought was the cheapest could end up being more expensive. Other places charge different nights for different days. So yeah, it may start at $90 a month, but if you're staying there Thursday to Sunday, you actually might average out at 120 And if the cleaning fees are based on a day versus for the whole stay, all of these things, and now they're changing their search criteria that all of those fees will be included in the pricing, and the actual quoted price that you'll see there will be based on your entire duration uh, so that you will know whether or not you're getting the cheapest option in your search. I am reading the last point. Hosts won't be able uh, to require guests to do labor-intense chores. This yeah. is another thing I forgot to mention. Like, we go, and then we're cleaning on the last day. Like, the morning I wake up, and we're putting dishes in the dishwasher and laundry in, in the in the hamper. Yeah, and I'm, like, I'm doing stuff I don't do at my own house. <laughs> I'm like, it's what, ridiculous. The, what like, the hell am I paying take for? Take the bedding off the bed? There's, there's a $279 cleaning fee on this thing, but I have to clean the house before they come? Exactly, exactly. And then, so they're, they're saying that they're going to take those things... Oh, like the what they call like the unreasonable cleaning demands, um, including stripping bed, doing laundry or vacuuming. Those are going to be no longer allowed. Doing um, vacuuming, <laughs> doing vacuuming. Like, like I just gave this guy four thousand dollars to use his house for a week, and now I'm vacuuming and swiffering the floors. Exactly. Like it made no sense ever, but um, there was such a demand, and people were so terrified of getting a bad rating. I mean, I've mm -hmm. left Airbnbs with my buddies. I'm like, oh my god, man, I'm the one on the account. Everyone's and like the shenanigans that the boys were up to in this place uh, has left it a little worse for wear. And <laughs> I was worried that it would come back on me. Um, but fortunately, I still have a pretty good rating on there. Yeah? You managed to stay yeah, as yeah. a solid 3.6? 3.6. <laughs> out of 10? Here for a good time, not a long time <laughs> at your Airbnb. Um, so, yeah, if anyone has some funny stories, you can fire them down below. But that's What do you think is going to happen to Airbnb over here? Because they seem like the, the value of the company seems to be dropping pretty fast. No, they just have, well, yeah, the value of the company is, but they actually have had some pretty profitable quarters and stuff like that recently. They have, but there was also this huge crunch because this year travel exploded because yeah. people had all the money and they hadn't traveled for a few years. But coming here with the expected recession, the cost of things being up so much, 
travel's slowing down. Airbnb's making these changes, not because things are going so well. I'm telling you that right now. Well, here's another thing that uh, their CEO came out and said that because the housing market is slowing down, he actually expects the number of listings on Airbnb to go up as people cannot sell their homes. He told that to the investors on the call. And then force prices down. Yeah. So, like, hmm, that's not, that's, you know what? I kind of believe him. Yeah. So, that'll people be interesting. People need extra incomes. Um, you know, it's hard to say because then they have more listings available, and, and Airbnb kind of doesn't care necessarily how profitable their vendors are if they're getting kind of booking fees. Yeah, and if they're getting a, a summary of, of everything, you know, the individual listings may be down, but if there's a larger sample, they could still get the same amount of money. I think booking nights are going to come down though, because really, because listings don't create bookings, right? Like if a town puts up an extra, oh yeah, yeah, if a town's yeah. only booking ten nights a month, if you put up four hundred listings, all that means is they're still only getting the ten nights a month. But it's getting spread out even thinner, which is going to kind of take away from that market. And the other thing is, I think a lot of the bookings get made more so through professional Airbnb host than um, like one-time people. Like almost every time I book now, it's someone who's like, I'm a super host and I have eight other listings mm-hmm. and the Airbnbs yeah. look amazing. These people that are throwing on their basement last minute to try and save their monthly bills, I'm probably not going to click on that one. If there's 50 listings open yeah, yeah, and everyone's rates are dropping, yeah. I'm probably going to go with the nicest looking one. Well, I am going to go with the nicest looking one. Everyone does. Yeah. And I've heard anecdotally that bookings are way down. I've heard that anecdotally. I don't I, know if I you've heard the same from your clients. I know we've got one Airbnb that runs all season, and it's really, it is one of those more hipster experience. Like, it's the yurt. You guys have heard me talk about Check the yurt. Check it on YouTube. Um, and its bookings are, are way down based on, on what it's done in the past. And... I heard that from also a client of mine who has an Airbnb in their house. Yeah. Great location. Um, and they have virtually no bookings. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think it is slowing down. Like there's, yeah, it's going to change. I think this coming year, there, there's no reason a big company like that who's had success relentlessly is making all these sweeping changes because business is booming. It's because yeah. business is slowing down. Investors are getting leery and they need to make something happen. I think it's Similar. also such a... Um, like a, I don't want to say grassroots, but there's a grassroots element of it because it feels very personal, right? Mm-hmm. You're in someone's space. That was always kind of the charm of it as well. Yep. Um, and so when the people turn on you, like everyone saw that Twitter thread that was trending mm-hmm. where people were just ripping their Airbnb experiences as someone posted like ridiculous rules to an apartment and just... Uh, another person, the super host, was like, "Hey, how come the bookings are down?" And people like trolled them, saying all the reasons that they don't stay at Airbnbs anymore. I think um, the company probably was very aware of that and followed that and said, "Okay, we do need to um, better respond to what the consumer is wanting because it is a, a a more intimate consumer exchange than some other things." One hundred percent. And it's funny. I always saw these things like online on Instagram, like the biggest real estate or the biggest hotel company. Is Airbnb and they own no hotels. The biggest um, office company is WeWork and they own no offices. But now it's kind of like the truth's coming out and these companies are starting to take a beat down. Um, and some of the OGs that actually own the real estate uh, and have the assets are proving to be able to weather the storm because right? they have something yeah. to lean on. These yeah. guys' margins are insane, but just as quickly as they can go up, they can go down. And then they're left with this crazy overhead, but they have no asset to back their value. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I think Airbnb is going to make some changes and downsize a lot next year. 
um, kind of like every other tech company. But I don't know if they're going to downsize as much as FTX did. Yeah, do we want to go into that, or do we want to talk about the inflation stuff really quickly? Because I don't want to bore people with too many numbers here, but I think it's relevant that, yeah, that people hit, know Hit this. them with that, and then I'm going to mess up the crypto land. <laughs> yeah, so um, a, a couple of announcements have come out since our last episode. Obviously, here in Canada, um, the inflation was announced, and there was no change. It's, it stayed at 6.9%, uh, which in one sense is discouraging, because everyone was hoping it would continue to go down as it had been you know, slowly declining uh, for months since it's high, which I think was like 8.1%. Now it's at 6.9, which is the same as it was last month. But there is reason for optimism within that because, as we all know, gas has gone up quite significantly this month. Mm -hmm. Um, So when oil and gas goes up, you automatically know that that's going to put inflationary pressure on everything, right? Because shipping, um, cost of living, all these expenses rise with that. So the fact that inflation stayed steady in the face of that can be seen as uh, encouraging. And in fact, it, it, you know, I've been saying that I feel like inflation is rolling over here. Like I, I feel like the worst of the inflation is behind us and we are going to start um, this decline. Um, it also, of course, ties into what Tiff Macklin, Macklin and the BOC may do December 7th for their next rate announcement. There was a lot of speculation that it would be 50 points. I think that's probably still where it will go. Um, and you have 25 written down here. You sound uh, optimistic. I I was going to get to that. I, I kind Min- of minus 0.25. Um, I feel like there's a chance now that they might only do 25 points. Um, and about a week ago, well, two weeks at the time, this will air. Uh, Macklin was talking about how the labor market had softened and for the first time in in a while like unemployment numbers have started to go up so unemployment um uh kind of has gone up 3.3 percent um which is a good sign right more people being unemployed is going to put some tiff's gonna hit us with 100 points and then send out an email cost boc got him yeah (laughs) just everybody in the office be like ah they thought they were getting just to troll me um no, so like you know, he was saying all the right things at this last um, presentation that he did, which was also right on around the same time as the Fed in the states um, and, and some announcements that they've made about their inflation situation down there. Um, and let's see, I've got it here. The U.S. year-over-year inflation dropped from 8.2 percent to 7.7 percent, and they've had, now had four months of steady decline. Uh, and core CPI, which was 6.6 in September, was 6.3 for October. So this is all really good trending information out of the U.S. Um, and let's be honest, like they kind of lead the way for us a little bit. That last um, line underneath the 6.3 percent seems slightly concerning. Well, I mean, oh, oh, underneath that mm. about yeah, so. Um, there's, there's, so there's a lot of good mo- news, I would say. And um, while both the Fed and, the, and BOC have acknowledged that they're going to continue to push rates a little bit because they're not done, there's more thinking that we're nearing the end of the rate increases um, and that inflation is hopefully stagnated and that's the turning point of when it'll start to, to decline even faster, hopefully. Um, but yeah, this one thing that I found um, this as well, that the Fed also reported that um, U.S. household debt soars at fastest pace in 15 years. Uh, credit card sur- use surged by 15% from the same time last year. And that's not surprising at all because... Um, everything costs so much damn money. Everything <laughs> costs so much damn money. And I think... Tell, tell me if you've said this before. Like When mm-hmm. I talk to people, like, what's it like having a mortgage? I'm like, well... It sucks. You, <laughs> it really sucks <laughs> right now. Um, you kind of... You have your money goes in your bank account. The mortgage just comes out, mm. and you live off the rest. Mm-hmm. And it it actually, 
um, makes the stress of it lesser in some sense because it's it's almost like money you didn't have and, and you budget the rest uh, accordingly. The problem is those mortgage amounts have increased so much recently that the amount you have left over to spend is smaller and smaller and the cost of everything is higher and higher. So where do you go to? You go to the credit cards, man. And this isn't a seasonal thing. I know we're headed towards uh, Christmas, and we talked a lot about this, that consumerism is a real thing, and people just are, are going to spend this year, even though they probably shouldn't. Um, but that number is, from the same time last year, 15% more debt on credit cards than this time last year. That is scary. And that's the sort of stuff that gets people in trouble. Just have no shame in not buying a bunch of gifts. Like You shouldn't be spending a ton of money if you're not feeling comfortable with it. I think there's so many people, like you said, that are going to rack up their credit yeah. cards to get their Christmas gifts. And it's such a bad time to be doing so. Just in the, inside the Christmas box, just when you give it to your kids, say, due to inflation. Yeah, because what's inflation? You're not getting a PS5 this year. You're getting a downloadable game on your computer. Yeah, you're getting... Uh, Fortnite. Um, so the one thing I will say, and, and we don't get into politics too much, uh, but the midterms in the States were really interesting. Um, the whole interest rate um, is now becoming heavily, heavily politicized because it's it's like this weird irony that you're acknowledging that everything is more and more expensive for people mm-hmm. uh, and then simultaneously hammering them on their housing costs in a lot of cases, right? Yeah. Um, and you see that a lot in the States, that there's you know looming pressure on, on the Fed politically. And then here in Canada, um, the head of Unifor, which is the largest uh, public sector union in Canada came out and really aggressively at- attacked the BOC in the saying, quote, rather than developing a tailored response intended to slow profits, stop profiteering, fix supply chain bottlenecks, and help workers keep up, policymakers have taken to blaming workers instead, including the governor of the Bank of Canada, who has basically declared class war on working people in this country. Um, so that's... You know, them them fighting words. Them's are fighting words. And Jagmeet Singh, you know, who's the federal NDP leader, also came out critical of the Bank of Canada um, because these rates are hurting people and it's it's going to be politicized, which I think is going to continue to put pressure on these central banks to ease up, especially as uh, federal elections. You know, if they could just be like, yo, everybody chill out on the buying shit for a minute, then we wouldn't have to increase rates. You'd be like, look, you can all store away a bunch of money in your bank account, then they wouldn't have to increase rates. You just you got to stop spending. Yeah, I wish they could spending. do rolling blackouts where it's like, um, we're going to close You can only buy mall. the essentials. Yeah, we're going to close every major mall, um, you know, two days a week for, for three months. Here's a thought I'm going to stick in your brain. Singapore does this in some sense, not the rolling blackouts, but they do a forced savings plan. They just take a chunk off your paycheck. In Singapore? Yeah. And so they have the most millionaires. That sounds because like communism to me, boys. It does. <laughs> but um, instead of taking it away by increasing your mortgage payment, you're paying a bunch of interest and you're feeling really sour. It's like, we're taking a thousand bucks out of your bank account every month. You have to pay it, but we're putting it in a savings account for you that you can access later. And so you're not going to spend that thousand bucks a month because they took it. How do you have to get it? Uh, I forget. They have like age ranges and stuff like that that you can access really? the capital. That's actually kind of um, cool. And so on average, everyone there is hella rich. Now, on the flip side, everything there is also very expensive. So maybe it's not working on the inflation side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, also I'm not <coughs> I'm not down for the government being like no no we know best we're gonna take your money and set it aside for you. Well, BOC's uh, doing that right now with your interest. Instead of putting it in a savings account, you're just putting it into an interest payment. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I'm saying do that in 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 lieu of increasing rates. 
Yeah. No, no, that's a good point. Do you know like, what I mean? So instead of increasing rates, like, we need you guys to stop spending. So we're going to take all the money right now, park it aside in, in savings, uh, in like a <laughs> savings account, and then you can access it later. That's a crazy idea, but... Uh, For retirement, basically. It. Yeah, yeah. Anyways. Yeah, so that's what's going on with the numbers. We just want to break those down to you. Again, we're going to get uh, to a lighter note later uh, where uh, we tell some funny <laughs> stories. Way later. We're just going to um, keep hitting you with the bad news. Yeah, yeah. So crypto, my favorite investment of 2020. <laughs> nope. Chandler uh. and I had a good return of negative uh, 100%, I think, is how that works out to be. Yeah, we, we did really well on it. Chandler and I made a little investment. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> Again, this... Don't trust nobody. This podcast is um, not financial <laughs> advice. So, some of you, and probably a lot of you already know, that FTX is a crypto exchange, and it was touted as being one of the safer, better ones, bringing kind of yeah, regulation huge. to the market, hel yeah. helping things become normalized in the crypto world. Uh, and a lot of you probably saw in the last two weeks... Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, who was the founder of it, he is 30 years old. He was valued at a net worth of $26 billion, uh, was the founder of this, and had a very quirky character. Um, this has all gone to zero now. Sam is now effectively worth nothing. FTX has been sold to his competitor company, Binance, and there has been a ton of issues, and the FTX, FTX token has become worthless. Yeah, and isn't there also like a, and we don't know, we're like 130 and they're they're missing a ton of money. There's there's billions of dollars that are just like unaccounted for. Um, his other company as well, Almeida Research, which is like what he used to do his uh, money laundering, <laughs> money laundering, also went to zero. Um, so I'm more going to explain what happened from my understanding, okay. uh, just so you can kind of get it. So again, this is a crypto exchange going missing again. My thing I want everyone to consider as I'm saying all this is our actual banking system isn't that far off of how these things work. The only difference is that there's a lot of regulation and there's a lot of public backing on the big banks that help to give it, keep them alive and kind of get through it. And the government's involved. So when they when the big banks start to go under, they step up and throw in the extra dough. Um, anyways, so Sam Bankman-Fried, he, he was in his 20s. He was a big crypto guy. He started FTX, blah, blah, blah. Everything's going great. About two weeks ago, he fired a bullet at his competitor, Binance. Binance is another crypto exchange, but they're based overseas. Um, and the, what he said basically was, well, like what it was is they were both going into D.C. to work on regulation. Okay. And Sam was like, oh, can Binance even come? Because they're based overseas in China. I think it's Japan or Japan. Someone's going to correct me on that immediately, but they're based overseas. So he basically made a, a little jab like, oh, Binance can't even come to this. Like, haha. Right. Uh, we are the legitimate one. Binance isn't. This was just a matter of weeks ago. Yes. Ooh, those Twitter fingers will get he, you. In he trouble went from every 20, time. twenty-six billion to one dollar in a week. Shouldn't have pressed send on that one. Yeah. Tweet whatever it <clears throat> is. So Binance and them have been in competition for a long time. They did not take lightly to this. Just so happens that two days after he makes this tweet, accounting documents from his firm Almeida Research get leaked. So obviously Binance had somebody on the inside. Ooh. And has been waiting for this moment. Allegedly. I mean, all, all allegedly. They released these documents showing that basically most of the value in these businesses was in FTX token. So what they're saying is the FTX exchange and Almeida Research, which were valued at whatever, $50 billion, a, a large, large percentage of it was actually just in the, the FTX token that they held. So that'd be the equivalent of saying like, like a billionaire like Elon Musk 
a big portion of his wealth is in Tesla stock. So if Tesla stock went to $1, Elon Musk would go from whatever he's at now, $200 billion, down to probably like a billion dollars because 95% right. of okay. his wealth is tied up there. So they're saying these companies, basically 95% of the value of these businesses is tied up in this FTX token. Well, that also means that if you're a shareholder in, or if you have money within one of these exchanges, the way they intend to pay you back is if they need, if you're calling to withdraw your money, they have to sell their FTX token to pay you back and give you your money back when you withdraw. Gotcha. When Binance saw this, they said, oh, you know, we've lost faith in FTX token. So we're going to go ahead and dump all of our FTX token. Ooh. And the then second that- they dumped that, it dropped the value of the FTX token. People who use FTX as their platform to trade all start losing confidence that they're going to be able to make their withdrawals. They start withdrawing money. And all at once, in the course of like two or three days, $7 billion starts getting withdrawn. The token continues to plummet, which so they is bringing sell more and attention then pay to out. Yeah. Then they can't sell and pay people out. And so then they put a freeze halt on withdrawals from the FTX platform, saying they're, they're meeting liquidity issues. That's the equivalent of you going to your bank and them closing the old like shutter and saying, no more withdrawals. Yeah. Which is something we talked about over in, in China, was happening with some of these smaller banks. And that has been... Um, both a, a, a real and imagined um, huge collapse throughout you know, history, this idea that, oh my gosh, what happens if I go to the bank and I can't access my funds? Binance's CEO, I think it's Ching-Peng Zen, Zhao, Ching-Peng Zhao, known as CZ Online, then took his opportunity to step in and buy out FTX. And so he purchased his greatest competitor. So this was like oh, a this was a battle of the CEOs. Twitter fingers, they will get you. And one guy, Sam, got a little bit cocky, made a tweet, and CZ jumped on it and absolutely crushed him by de- devaluing all the assets that they carried, which was in their FTX token, which lost all the consumers' um, confidence within that that exchange. They withdrew all their money, putting them in a full liquidity crunch. Now, there's a bunch of missing money, effectively, because, obviously, the token's effectively worthless, so they can't even... like when they And they would have had to submit, because they were getting involved with regulators, they would have had to submit that, like, look, look, we have the ability to pay back the people that are putting money into our platform, um, but they would have been valuing it based off the FTX token, yeah. which is now worthless. And the reason that a bunch of the money was lost to make up the difference, too, is that they were making risky, risky trades with the money that was being deposited. So they were taking the money and bankrolling it through Almeida Research, so... The crypto exchange never showed any issues because Almeida would buy the money from them. And so, long story short, they lost a bunch of money on some really crazy trades on top of all of this. So they were already short to begin with. Then the FTX token went to zero value. So a lot of people will likely get beat up. But Binance is stepping in. And I think Binance's whole intent is is to show that they can back everyone's portfolios they had held in, the, in that platform. And again, to help try and bring some regulation and some confidence back to the consumer. But it's... This is also, to, to draw another analogy, would be if one uh, major nation currency holder uh, kind of overtly attacked another currency and saying, hey, you know, we now believe that currency to effectively be worthless. Um, and then everyone tries to immediately withdraw their funds from that currency that's going to further devalue the currency until you know if they have any supposed uh holdings like the banks won't be able to issue the currency won't be able to cover of course as as the news in the media is absolutely decimating sam um one of the quotes that he said which is it makes him sound really bad is uh, i assume my clients had no leverage 
So he's assuming that everyone who had deposited money within to his trading platform were doing it all from cash holdings that they carried. So there would never be this requirement to have to have them pull it all out at once or have big, large withdrawals. Um, and he's saying, I assume that no one had leverage. But if anyone knows anything about trading, mm-hmm. you know any of the big traders that are involved do carry leverage to have the money in there uh, to make their trades. And that's how they make their money. It's similar to how we use leverage to buy real estate. They use leverage to buy stocks. And they're doing yep. the exact same thing. Um, so anyways, he's... All of those leverage, anyone who was leveraged to buy that stuff, probably also those leverage things would have called their notes and be like, hey, you got to pay us back now too. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, it has a compounding effect. And this is what happened in 2008, right? Like the leverage is what bought, it would bit all these little banks in the ass. Um, this one hit for me because I always actually thought Sam was a bit of a genius in some ways. Um, just by going through kind of following how he got to where he did. Um, he just, I don't know if anyone knows, like he started by basically trading in the discrepancies between platforms. So he was making the difference because when crypto came out, you could go on one platform and it'd be $10,000. You go on the next one, it's $10,200. Right. Because there was a delay and there wasn't a centralized system that was making sure it was all the same. And so he was using computer software to trade that difference and make the 200 bucks. Yeah, yeah. And I was doing that in university as well. But he scaled it up, built a software, and made it crazy. And obviously, he was making a fortune. Um, and then he started the FTX. Probably by leverage. Pro- exactly, through yeah. leverage. And he, he, he then built the FTX platform uh, from there. One of our producers here, Mark, just mentioned that Kevin O'Leary just went on record and said that he would still work with Sam. What do you think of that? I, I have I have an opinion, but I'll let you say yours first. Um, I mean, like these guys who come up with this stuff, they're kind of like weird level geniuses. And with that comes some level of eccentricity that could get you burned from time to time. Mm-hmm. Like, And that whole industry seems to attract those types of people, right? Like, there's, some, oh, there's always, like, a smarter, quicker shortcut. There's always a gap. There's always a spread. Mm-hmm. Um, and while that's the same thing in all trading, it is hyperbolized in the crypto space, it seems. And um, I, I think you can ride these things to great summits. So Kevin O'Leary being like, I would bet on that guy again. It's like, well, yeah, because those are the sort of bets that it's like a buddy I know threw uh, $75 on the Detroit Pistons to win their conference. Um, I'm like, that's a terrible bet. And he's like, yeah, but it would have paid out $17,000 on a $75 bet. Like, yeah. um, So Kevin O'Leary saying that he would roll with this guy again. I mean, he's not a dullard, but I think he just got... He overplayed because these guys have massive, massive egos. They do rely on these little shortcuts cuts and like, oh, well, we thought of something that's way smarter than you guys. Like, we have this company valued at this because it holds all these tokens, and now we're going to pump the system up so the tokens are worth a lot, so the company, ergo, is worth a lot, even though the company maybe doesn't have any tangibles. Um, yeah, so, like, I, I would ride with that guy again, but you need to be mindful that the wheels could come off, and they came off in a major way. I was going to say, there's a risk in any investment. I'm with Kevin. I think I would work with Sam again. Um, to what you said, it kind of takes a genius to even hype a company to that level. And it's even more impressive, I think, to hype a company to that level within that industry um, because it can be more difficult in some ways. Less competitive sometimes, but also I think you to get people's confidence to actually invest and put that much money so in. Especially now. Yeah. 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 Well, take, it takes a lot. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that quirkiness, like you said, it plays into it, but I think a lot of people in a lot of industries have to do the same thing and you kind of just keep faking it until you make it. But I've always, I've always felt this way with money. Like if you believe in yourself well enough, you can go out and if you can get other people to believe in your game, 
you kind of just keep working your way up and the, the smaller issues get sunk and pushed away. Like it's like you don't need to perfectly uh, do something to achieve and keep moving forward. Like if you can kind of get it down pat and then you can convince somebody to give you money, whether it's a bunch of people below you or one person above you, then you get to make that next step. Yeah. And so he did that on both ends and he achieved this massive amount of growth. Um, so yeah, I think, I think Elon Musk is a prime example of that. A lot of people like to be like, he never brought the cyber truck to production yet. And I'm like, yeah, but it takes somebody like Elon Musk to go out and be able to sell the dream of the Cybertruck to get you guys to place a yeah. billion dollars in deposits so that he can show to a bank that, look, I have $10 billion of this truck pre-sold, ready to go. Now let me buy Twitter. Now let me <laughs> now let me use this money to design the truck and use a little bit of surplus to buy Twitter and actually produce this thing for the people, right? Like that's, yeah. that's always what it is. And that's the only reason real estate works is because... <clears throat> The banks already know. They're like, yeah, the rent is something. You don't have to necessarily go out and sell it. Like what you're selling in a, in a real estate product is rent, which everyone knows is worth something. So they're willing to lend against that so you can go out and do your construction project. These guys are doing the same thing, but with technologies or new products that have never hit the market before. So it's immensely more difficult to get the money together and to actually produce something because you have to find people to create this thing that's never been around before. So anyways, yeah. that's just my little rant. I think Sam is a genius. Um, I think you'll see him again on the front of Forbes. I was blown away because he was a 20-year-old worth $20 billion. Uh, and it was such a quick story. He was super quirky. The video that I watched of his Forbes interview, he rolled up in old clothes and oh, a beat that up was Toyota that Corolla. Dude. Yeah, I've talked about him on you here before. You talked about this guy. You love this guy. Yeah, I love this guy because it's 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 amazing to see someone have that oh, kind of insane okay, growth. Okay. The only thing I think to what you're saying, I think where it all falls apart is when they truly almost start to believe that the f- facade is legit. And I think it's hard not to because if you're like, man, everything I've done is hit and I now have $25 billion. Like, yeah. But on the flip side, this is my other thing I want to talk about. Like, I'm just all over the place, but he's now worthless. And so a lot of people are like, oh, my God, he's so rich. How can he take all this money from people and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, he never really took any money from anyone. Like, this was a, a like a made-up value based on what was going on. They're not actually worth it. It's like what I say about Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. Like, they were to liquidate. Their worth yeah, yeah. would be one-tenth, if not less, yeah. of what they are today. Yeah. Um, so anyways, long story short, FTX is toast for the most part, but Binance bought it. So it'll probably just amalgamate them in. It might keep them separate just to have a U.S. footprint. Um, but uh, I'm with Kevin O'Leary. If he wants to work with me, I'll work with I want to work with the guy who owns Binance. <laughs> I want to work with that guy. <laughs> yeah. He seems C- like the horse to bet on. CZ, he, he's just like... CZ. Man, he, like, I'm like, he was just playing a chess game and he just kept so oh. solid the whole time. Um, so yeah, it hammered the crypto space for all. I, I think like uh, Bitcoin was down like 10% almost... Yeah, I don't. I don't actually. I didn't. I'm, I didn't grab all the numbers. I more grabbed the story. Um, but I'm sure across the board, yeah, cryptos were down all over the place. Um, people definitely lost a bunch of money on FTX. Um, so it's. I actually was involved in one before like that. That it was paying out a certain interest rate as a crypto, and same thing. They had a liquidity crunch, and overnight it went to zero. Um, I got out. Fortunately, like fingers crossed. I literally got out a week before. It was insane. Yeah. It. The main takeaway is that it's gonna just continue to until there's regulation it'll yeah. continue to do this and i that's why i'd say right now you can't bet on anything like there was a list i was reading an article there's a list of like eight other cryptos that were huge in the billions and billions and billions of money invested and they all went to zip this year and that's going to keep happening until they figure out what the actual systems are in place um and the regulation comes because what the regulations are going to do is they're going to force these cryptos to carry a certain amount of assets to carry a certain amount of yeah. cash to alternative assets so they, yeah, they can't like, just be like no no we have lots of our own crypto 
It's yeah. Like, yeah, but and then other cryptos what if that even. becomes worth nothing? It's like, no, no, it won't because other people think it's worth that. It's like, no, it's like... You, you need have to have assets something. that have been yeah. backed for 50 plus years, 100 years. They've shown that they have something, so they need to carry cash holdings or real estate investments. Gold or, bullion. Yeah, yeah, literally, literally. And that, like, yeah. that's uh, the banks, even though we're not honestly, uh, our dollar isn't tied to the gold, but a lot of the giant banks and like the Bank of Canada and the feds and the well, reserves, they have reserve ratios. They have reserve yeah. ratios yeah. and they carry yeah. actual gold, actual like silver. They actually carry those things, um, which are designed to try and help prevent something like this happening. Um, again, so that that's the FTX story at a high level. Uh, if you want all the specific numbers, I didn't grab them. I just thought it was wild that this guy tried to get cocky and tweeted at him. Oh, Imagine be, being CZ at Binance and just be like, oh, I got him. I'll, in a week, too. In a week, it just went from like here to like, I own your yeah. company. Yeah, that's a, a that's a boss move. I love it. To catch people up, we're going to be talking about, uh, you've got some wild stories. I forgot to mention something off the hop that I was going to mention at the beginning because I came up in here very fired up today. You did. Um, but I'll get to that in a bit. But I just want to recap a couple, throw a couple other things at you and see what you think of it. Um, the world population. Did you see eight this? Eight billion people. We broke through eight billion people this last week. Recorded eight billion. Yeah. I wonder if we have how many extra unrecorded we have. No, dude, this is basically a mathematical equation that just roll it's like a rolling estimate they're not actually updating this thing in real time no i just but wonder if it's like i feel like india is so far off the number they're like yeah we have 1.7 billion and then if they actually tallied everybody up it'd be like three and a half yeah there might be some plus or there might be a margin of error in there okay now, but eight bill eight bill is yeah. what we're is what we're, we're at that's kind of crazy i feel like i remember i remember, I remember, 6. 7, right I remember being at six and that being a big thing how long was that 10 years ago more than that god damn it seven yeah. Um, back in my day. Yeah, uh, I got to start saying do, that. Do you think that we'll hit $9 Because oh. we've talked about this talk a lot. talked about the Elon Musk, the world no, population No, no, like I honestly off. feel uh, world population is going to drop off. So do you think we'll hit $9 Yeah, billion? I think we'll, I'm thinking we're going to hit that. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm convinced the world we'll population is going to keep going. No, Oh, my point. God. October 1999, $6 billion. Holy crap. I am way behind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He's like, well, it feels like it was just six billion yesterday. <laughs> okay, <laughs> solid. What do you judge that by? <laughs> um, no, I think it's going to keep going because um, I think the international markets are going to be the ones that drive it. Uh, like again, you you look at like India's population alone; it's going crazy. Um, I know, on average, when a country becomes like turns more towards becoming a first world nation, they Usually the birth rates decline. Yeah, I always Death wonder about. Too, but I, I always wonder about Africa, like in the sense that, like, I feel like they are, like, struggling even further behind India, uh, and I'm like, if their hunger situations t- start to get resolved and some of their uh, disease problems mm-hmm. and things like that start to get resolved, will Africa have a massive population uh, spike? Population spike. Well, here's the thing, and we've talked about this before. I think this might have been in our conspiracy episode. Is that Everyone who wants like this woke, perfect environmental world and blah 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 doesn't realize that um, that's going to make it really hard to bring some of these other parts of the world up to this lovely quality of life we have now, 
right? Like we're saying like, all right, we don't want petroleum products. That means no one in Africa gets asphalt roads or cars for that matter. Right. Like yeah. if we're going to cut down on some other mining practices, like so then are we telling people in developing countries that they're not allowed to have they smartphones? Have to, they have to skip straight to like hydrogen powered buses. Exactly. Right. Like so. Um, and then there's also the fact that, you know, we kind of can't afford our already inflated cost of living if there isn't exploitation somewhere. Like people don't want to talk about this, but like you need to exploit the environment. You need to exploit labor in order to live the quality of life these are to which these we are become accustomed views. to. These are no, that is, views, that is not my views. factual. No, I'm right? Like <laughs> um, you know, like our here local in our province, we mined, we cut down all the trees we could, and we fished cod until there was basically none of them left. <laughs> and that's how we got to where we are today. Um, you know, like this is clearly we didn't we, cut we, enough trees we do to co- to always have to make these trade-offs. And now this idea that like no no Everyone's going to have this great quality of life, but there's going to be no um, environmental consequences to it. Um, everyone's going to get free jobs and great living, and like it's not possible. I don't know how else to explain it. And that is a sad reality that people are like, oh, how can you just close your mind to it? It's like, you're doing it too if you have an iPhone or a T-shirt that you bought for <laughs> under $50. Like, you are also, you know... Accepting this reality, even the, shirt, really over, even the shirt over fifty dollars is probably. I'm saying it would cost twenty. It would cost fifty dollars <laughs> to make a T-shirt here locally. If we actually wanted to locally source our own T-shirts uh, from Nova Scotia, it would cost fifty bucks to make that damn T-shirt. And it probably wouldn't be that great. No, it's uh, like a burlap same. bag. Um, yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. I don't know. Back to your original question about the nine billion thing. I think so. I honestly do. Like, I feel like the population is just going to keep kind of growing. Like, I think there's so many pockets of people. But I know uh, Elon, my boy, um, boy, is is pretty adamant that it's not going to to continue growing. I'm I'm like I've said it a bunch of times on here, but I'm super curious to see how the population pyramid for North America goes moving forward. And like, what I'm alluding to, if you're not aware, is just like it's basically. We'll probably throw it up on the screen, but it's a bar chart, and the bars go out uh, horizontally for each age range, and it shows um, how many people are are alive in those in those age ranges. And so you have like your bubbles. So you're like, okay, like there's the boomers, and so there's like, okay, around the whatever that is now, sixty five to fifty probably. Uh, yeah. There's a bit of a bubble as the horizontal bars go out, and then it comes down a little bit. And then when they had kids, there's another the bars go out again because there's more people in those age ranges. And so I'm just maybe it's only because I'm in this age range now that I feel like <laughs> so many people are having kids and things are growing so much, and I'm seeing these populations change a lot. I'm curious to see how that the bu- how those pyramids change. Also, with the massive influx of immigration, where immigrants oftentimes have larger families. Uh, and so for North America specifically, I want to see that. And then also on the, on the world scale, I want to see how that, that plays out. Cause I'm like, I feel like no matter what industry you're in, what data you're looking at, recency bias plays a factor on everything. And so people totally, are but, like, but Oh, the- we've just had like five years of slow growth. But I'm like, yeah, but that's cause we were in the middle of like one of those population pyramids where the bubble was coming in a little bit. But if they did that 50 years ago, they also would have said, well, we're never going to get past $6 billion. Yeah, but what you're overlooking is the fact that the parents of baby boomers had like 7 to 13 children. Totally. And then baby boomers had 4 or 5. Totally. And then now if we're the two. children of baby boomers, like one and a half, maybe. 
right? Like, so that's that's affecting it also. The, the bigger thing with those age cohorts that you're talking about is how they're going to move and be, like, we're going to have the biggest elderly population ever. Mm-hmm. And with that come a lot of health concerns and, and a lot of cost for, for caring for those people. And, and some of the social safety nets that we thought were going to be just automatically there, be it like pensions or be it just reasonable health care, don't seem like they're going to be there. Um, and so part of why we're going to have to bring in these immigrants is to tax them to help pay for our aging own population. My response, one other thing to consider, is as health technology continues to improve, like, I don't know, in the next 10, 20, like, it's like, you know what I mean? You look at 50 years, like, the age expectancy across mm-hmm. the board has continued to rise. Is mm. it going to get to that point where it's, like, a fair bit more? So now we have an extra 10, 20 years of age expectancy? I don't know, man. Which We're adds poisoning ourselves huge... with food, right? Like, uh, there's been a lot of speculation that our generation, and I'll say our generation because we're close enough. Okay, Dad. Um, are, is going to be the first generation with a lower life expectancy than their parents. Do you think? This is what some people have theorized, and, and it's mainly because our I'd say a few of my downtown nights would, would feed into that. There you go, right? Like, we're, <laughs> the, we're not eating as well. The drunk darts are catching me. The darts <laughs> will get you every time. Um, okay, I, I want to get into our funny stuff, but I had one other thing that I wanted to get your take on. Um, and I'm just going to read this verbatim because it's... Yeah, it's interesting. So, the New York Times, according to the New York Times, American home buyers are older, whiter, and wealthier than any time in recent memory, with first-time home buyers accounting for the smallest share of the market in 41 years. This is from a study by the National Association of Realtors, which is down the states. White buyers accounted for 88% of home sales during the survey period, up from 82% during the same period a year earlier, um, reaching the highest level in 25 years. Uh, historically, first-time home buyers made up about 40% of the market. You and I can attest to that. Mm-hmm. But the share of first-time buyers fell to 26% uh, between July 2021 and June 2022. The median age for first-time buyers is now 36. The oldest it has ever been um, since these records have been t- taken. Uh, as well as the median <laughs> age for repeat buyers, which now rose to four- 59. So... Basically, what this is saying is it's taking people longer to buy their first homes because they're they're quite a bit older. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about how these these inflationary pressures, these increase in interest rates, the increase in housing is going to disproportionately affect uh, more at risk individuals, both and, and at risk both in terms of income, uh, but also marginalized. Uh, groups, including buyers of different backgrounds, nationalities, color, etc. Um, and so you're seeing this, these built-in systemic advantages that certain people have, which are older white folks predominantly, um, being, I mean, being being made worse during this time. And mm-hmm. I've said this so many times that these great resets, these moments where people think, oh, yeah, it's going to be great and the housing market's going to collapse and it'll make things more even and, and younger people will finally have a chance. It's not going to happen. These redistributions of wealth flow up to the same systemically um, advantaged people as before. And the numbers are bearing out there. Any thought on any of those numbers? Before I respond to anything, uh, you said white buyers accounted for 88% of home sales. Just yeah. so people know... Um, the white population is 76% in the so US. Yes. So it's, it's, it's just so it's like, it makes, it makes yeah. sense. Um, so there, obviously there's in, disproportionate, in, there's a yeah. disproportionate amount of, of sales going through. Um, I mean, this is no surprise to me. The color thing sort of surprises me 
the older makes sense because in general, like as time goes on, you've made more money, whether it be through the appreciation of your assets um, or just simply through your income. If you make 50 grand for 50 years, you have had more opportunity to spend money and put money away and yeah, buy assets equity. and build equity and own stuff. Yeah. So that one made but, sense but it, But it's nerve wracking to see that it, that's getting harder. It's taking people more and more time to do that in order to buy. Yes. The, the first time buyers at 36, that's actually sounds almost insane like that's that a is median age but yeah that's a median age but that is very high regardless even if it yep. came down with an average like the fact that it's over 30 for me i think I feels know. kind of crazy yeah because uh, when you consider that a lot of people graduate college or university at 22 23 yeah uh, that means that they're taking a decade yeah to buy a house yeah it's taking a decade to buy a house um the whiter thing it surprises me but i feel like you it's the fact that Basically, people of color have been um, have been forced to like deal with a lower just everything, like a, the lower inflation employment ratio, lower pays. Yep. Um, they've been basically put aside for so many years leading up to this that even though it's starting to be less of that, it's still very relevant. Even though it's starting to be less of that, there's 200, 300 years of like the racism that has impacted their abilities to get ahead that now impact those families today. Like in, especially in the states, well, where it's taking generational wealth to buy homes. We and this about is the that. thing: it's generational right. wealth. It's your parents' help, and and so know, their parents' help. And only 50, 60 years ago, it, it, like the racism would have been very, very prevalent. Not even that. Probably like it's still very prevalent, but like it was very, very in your face. Uh, and so those generations had the opportunity to get ahead and. Like on a simple basis, they had white-only neighborhoods, which were valued at higher at a higher amount. Yeah, and so just automatically, that family now is going to have an extra fifty grand fifty years ago, which today would have equated to another half million bucks. Yeah, right. And so then they're automatically going to have more money to buy. So it's it doesn't thirty-five-year-old kids sit in their basement like you know what? Cut them a check, get them out of the house. Exactly. Yeah, and exactly. So that doesn't surprise me at all. But it's it's disappointing to see. I think. I feel like that eighty-eight percent. I feel like that might be going down, though. I feel like I know. I know in this in this in this segmented period for white buyers for white buyers. Okay. I feel like that percentage might be going down relative to like thirty, forty years ago. Mm, uh, you know what I mean? Like I feel like I feel like white buyers made up ninety-five percent. Yeah. Yeah. Reaching the highest level in twenty-five years. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I guess my takeaways are again. That these situations, and this goes back to the, the squeeze that that families are feeling at the lower income levels with these higher interest rates, uh, with this inflation, it is felt disproportionately. And there's that expression that a rising tide floats all boats. Well, you know, and then you talk about when the tide goes out, you see who's wearing swim trunks and who isn't. <laughs> like, there are certain people that have been uh, propped up by a system and have these built-in cushions and these safety nets that other people just don't have. So when times get tough, again, the wealth distribution is not done equally. It is done upwardly. And I think that is like, because what is, man, what is the fundamental of securing your future and con- your your financial well-being and, and in turn, the well-being of your family? It is real estate. Owning and obviously we're, we're biased, but there you can point to it and say, this is a period of time unequivocally in history where you know, the same people who have always had the advantage, which, and I'm not trying to get all woke because I trash being woke on here all the time, <laughs> but like, this is how this works. Um, and, you know, the pre-advantaged people are going to be further advantaged um, because they will be able to survive the hardships that we're going through right now better than marginalized communities. Do you ever think it'll get to the point where, like, it's a supply-demand thing, we talk about it all the time, 
the demand just continues to rise and rise and it's been doing that for 10 20 years whatever it is at a faster pace than the supply has of housing specifically housing specifically okay. did it ever get to the point where like supply will finally outstrip the demand and it'll cause Here's the thing, man. You talk about recency bias. Level. Like there was tons of times where you couldn't give houses away, and how and markets were flat for a long time. Like in Canada, though, but it's they, been, the it's general been a upward trend, yes, but, but it was but nice can, when like, it was going Canada, like price of inflation, two to three percent. The states, I think that happens more often. But in Canada, it was not like that. Toronto and Vancouver, Alberta's have had been like an average of two percent for like two decades. Yeah, because Alberta swings now booms and busts in there a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Time, they, like, honestly, they have their booms and busts because of the oil industry. So we were two to three percent a year until recently. Like so, well, because we boomed and busted on cod, we didn't have that much going on. I'm talking about places like Ontario and BC. Yeah. They've been booming, like booming for 20 years, without fail. Yeah. Like they've had yeah. they've had downturns, but it continues to just grind out, grind out, grind out. Prices have continued. Like they have not been doing. You think Toronto's been doing two, well, again, two, three yeah, percent for right. twenty years? On, on a long timeline, yeah, the trend is upward, and it's it's upward at a pace greater than inflation. I think we've seen that, especially you know even right now with inflation at a, at a all time high, like the real estate is, is still outpacing it, which is again why it's concerning because we're in a situation right now where, um, like the the finances of the world like gobble other things up it's going to be saying like this is an opportunistic time for a lot of individuals and corporations who are in a good position to take advantage of the opportunities being presented and those opportunities are not equally distributed because certain people are coming from uh more money anyway um on that cheery note i have so much so much else to say but we'll say another time don't don't censor yourself for me now i'm just just curious what the solution would be well man i don't know we're not just gonna fix all the world. Just, just in two lines. What's your solution? And it can't be a supply base. Ooh, thing. okay, okay. What's my solution? What's can't be derived. Dir- can't be a supply well, base. Well, it's, it's like, going to be a supply base thing, but it can't be directly just say, okay, we need more supply. I think this idea that um, I, I think more nuance has to be brought into financing, and I know we talked a bit about. I think it was Bank of America, um, you know, offering special mortgage products in visible minority. Um, rich communities. Um, but I even have this thing where, like, it's so hard as a single person to buy a house. Like, if you are crushing it as a single person, you might get approved for a mortgage of like 400 grand right now, mm-hmm. right? And you are competing for homes against couples mm-hmm. who, you know, maybe they're not doing as well as you, but maybe between the two of them, they can get approved for 600,000. Mm-hmm. That seems unfair. Mm-hmm. And so I think some nuance has to come into different amortizations for different people, uh, maybe even some rate manipulation based on location, like more nuance in that sort of things. And then you can um, perhaps better um, level the playing field in, in some of these situations. Interesting. So I, I'm going to say mine. I don't, I'm not going to say I disagree, but I have my thought would be like, I'm, I'm going to make one quick response to what you said. I think offering these nuanced or neat programs for financing is just going to force the price up even further. And I feel like you're that's what wrong. we've always yeah, done. I, th- I feel like that's yeah. what we've always done. Um, I think we've got to boil it back further. And kind of what Trump was on about is... Oh, here we go. <laughs> Midterms just happened. Trump just declared. And Neil, it took you... Oh, God. How many hours <laughs> since Trump declared? Three, maybe? Bring... But wow. bringing industry five hours okay bringing That's, industry thanks for the restraint neil okay all right bringing industry back into like our countries and doing it at a high level to give more stabilized employment and more stability to the pricing of everything 
because that's another big thing. Like you can't even simply just go buy a piece of land. Like people have been commenting, asking for the $1 land that I talked about. Even if you go buy that, by the time you build your, your house on there, you're still going to yeah. be into it for 400 grand. Yeah, it's crazy. There's no there's no way around it. And the people problem, like we're working on that, we're, immig- we're having people immigrate like crazy, unemployment's going up, but that's not just going to make it free to build houses because people are like, well, you can offer, even though there's no jobs, I'm not going to take you $12 an hour because I can't even pay my rent. Um, and so I'm just like, if we could produce lumber on a massive scale, if we could produce all the products that go into a home on a mass scale, uh, and they, the government put a focus on making sure, like they put out incentives to be like, yeah, if you open a lumber plant or if you open uh, a window plant or if you open a like copper mine, like there's some massive incentives to do that. It would give more stabilized employment as well as way cheaper material and products, which we can use to stabilize our own market. And then we can sell internationally to, well. to the remainder of the, of the, of the, burgeoning world which is like all these places like india and china that are like literally scrounging for materials but we have a thing that it starts at home right like we get it done here here's the problem though we spend all of our time saying how we oh we shouldn't cut down trees oh we shouldn't mine for stuff i didn't say that <laughs> i didn't say it either brother <laughs> um yeah no that that's interesting that that's a, a a much broader i thought you were talking about like how can we make it you know, uh, immediately, really quickly, make a change. Well, like yeah. you give some people some some opportunities in the housing market that maybe they don't have. You're talking about wide sweeping, uh, but I think a lot of what you're talking about is not just an economic and a production pivot. It's a um, mindset pivot as well, and not totally. just in a, like, oh, we should return to manufacturing and these industries that we kind of thought were dirty and and we didn't want our kids to go into. Not just that, but also, hey. Everything you just said talked about exploiting our natural resources. Totally, exploitation is a really like has a lot of negative connotations as a word, mm-hmm. um, but it's kind of what you do. Like you exploit opportunities, and and it's not necessarily a bad I think thing. Probably and, using like, the word us, utilization would sound better. <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably. Um, okay, so all right, hit me with it. This Chandler <laughs> just kept saying he's got some really horny friend. No, no, I want to start with. I want to start with. Do I go into this other thing? Okay, no, start. What do you want to start with? I don't even. Know I don't even I know what your story is. I need to know. No, I told you this. How? So He's telling me. you know the market is slowing down a little bit. Yeah. When realtors start getting in their feelings. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Um, we've come under fire. What um, else is new? Know, we've got MKR Group, just crushing it. Number one team in Remax, Nova here, doing big things. Um, <laughs> and someone from a rival brokerage, who I know who who did took issue with our website because we have something on our website that says like Nova Scotia's leading real estate consultants. Yeah. Which is granted a vague description at best. Um, a good one though. Pretty, I, I mean. No. So um, they filed a complaint with our broker saying that, oh, you know, they need to produce this with stats, blah, blah, blah. I don't know how you produce a stat for leading. Uh, and also, in our industry, unfortunately, all the stats are very hidden and people are very secretive and you don't know exactly what people are doing at other brokerages. My whole thing was, I'm like, bring your stats then. Yeah. Bring it. Pro- prove it not true. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so people, I'm just like, <laughs> I do love it too. But, but th- this is what happens when the market slows down. Realtors get really petty really fast. And, you know, I love that a lot of realtors listen, you to, know, listen to this. Um, and I love a lot of them that use the content. That's what we, we put it out there for. Um, but it just, it gets frustrating when people are, you know, trying to... If we're going on this path. I feel like I feel like the guy from FTX making the tweet being cocky, but it was kind of funny. I've had a few clients that have come over recently, and they said they mentioned to their realtor to maybe listen to the podcast to help gain some knowledge. And Ooh, I was like, okay, okay. I, 
That's a little cold. It was it was pretty savage, but I thought it was pretty pretty hilarious. No, like we, um, we love our realtor listeners. There's some I totally. I, we love all the realtors that listen, and I have no like. There's no beef with any realtor out there, honestly. But um, I can see why people would would start to get uh, bothered by it, and especially again, like you said, the market's slowing down. So I see stuff that bothers me sometimes that realtors do and say. Yeah. But I just leave well enough alone. Go do your thing, and and. Um, again, I come back to it's like, well, you know, bring your stats, put them down the table. We'll see how it goes. You guys can hold this L, as the kids say. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we're just getting started. We'll give you plenty of reasons to be angry in 2023. Oh we're we're just getting started. But um, love to all the the realtor listeners out there. Um, yeah, you know, we got a few of them, and, and you guys are great. Yeah. Um, but you had asked me at the start of last week's episode. You randomly threw this at me, um, like crazy thing that happened in my week, and I didn't have that much crazy. But then. Got me thinking about like the craziest thing that has ever happened to me in business. And I don't have a lot, but there's this one weird one. And again, I might start blushing here. I was early on. Lucky right? Lana like, doesn't listen to this. No, I think I've told her about this. Um, it, it was early on when I had effectively no clients. And so when you got even a sniff of a client, that sounded terrible. <laughs> I didn't mean, what kind of sniff? Uh, when you, oh my god! This is that's a good way to open this one. When you got even just like a potential like cold lead, you were still it. on them, right? Like you're working it so hard because there's yeah no other clients. And so I met this really eccentric woman, um, and you know I was responding to all of her texts obviously because I had nothing else on the go. And she's like, "Oh, you're so great! Like you're really responsive. I appreciate that." And you, you know so we we, we <laughs> <laughs> um, and we were all around like we were looking at so many different properties. It was this price point? Then it was that price point. Then it was this area? Then that area? And I didn't know any better. Like now I know. I'm like this person's crazy. But at the time I had no <gasps> idea, right? Like we were seeing anything and everything, and they're always like really unique, kind of quirky homes. Uh, and then for a while, like she was buying with her fiance. And then she a fiance. the fiance was like worked out of country. And then just suddenly there was no reference to a fiance ever again. Um, and we just continued to look at homes. And some point along there, I realized, well, actually, here's where I realized. <laughs> um, when we were looking at my home. <laughs> so um, this is going to sound. Okay. Okay. I got to get through this. All right. So she was like, hey. Um, would you like to come over and we can kind of uh, discuss properties and we can talk a bit about, you know, what I want to get and, and all this. And I'm like, yep, absolutely. I'll be there. My sniffer's coming. And so um, she lived in this apartment that was like down behind Godgen, like uh, by like the Staples where it is now. Yeah. So I go there. You know, this is back in the day where I wore a suit too. Um, so I was like so keen, blah, blah. Like I opened the door. And this is why I said like there was a guitar involved. So I opened the door, <laughs> and there she is in the door, holding a guitar. And I don't know why. Until this day, I don't really know why she was holding a guitar, but she was holding a guitar. <laughs> um, and there was John Mayer playing in the background. This is I'm I kid you not. And she was wearing like I don't know how to describe this. It was not lingerie. <laughs> But it was also not clothing. <laughs> like, I don't know if a nighty is the right term. Like, this was clearly for sleeping only. <laughs> and yet, it wasn't bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is like, all right, I'm trying to paint this picture for you. I show up at the door, and she just comes there in 
whatever you want to call this dress, holding a guitar, John Mayer's playing in the background, and I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> this Chandler's racing rip off his tie. This doesn't feel like it's a normal situation. <laughs> um, and then she's like, yeah, come on in, come on in. So we go, and we're in her kitchen, and I can still picture the place. And on the kitchen table, she's got her laptop opened to what at the time was MLS.ca, now Realtor.ca. And on the TV, she has the real estate channel on, which might even be too young for you, but back in the day, Channel what? 13 was the real estate channel. What? And she offered me a beer, and I said yes. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just drinking this beer. And you she know when you look around, and you're like, huh, <laughs> something's not quite right here. And it occurred to me that I think that this woman had a fetish for real estate. No way. And this was all a really um, Do you still have weird your contact? scenario. <laughs> um, so I got up out of there. Um, I don't even remember under what guys. I was just like, anyway, so we'll continue to talk about your... And yeah, I think we maybe exchanged a couple more texts after that, but that was it. It was crazy, man. I wish... I could explain how weird this was, but I just remember looking around and going through, like, huh, I feel like I'm in a trap here. <laughs> and I bounced up out of it. But that was my craziest story. I haven't had that many crazy things. Like, I know people who found dead bodies and stuff in houses, but that is my craziest story. I would say that's pretty crazy. I would say that's it pretty was crazy. Hilarious. Questions. Sure, it was just a fetish for real estate? Chandler, you're underselling yourself here, bro. I mean, listen. <laughs> Um, what did she do with the guitar once you walked into the house? Did I just come to the table with you guys? I like she was <laughs> carrying it like this, like holding it by what do you call that? Stem? The neck, the arm. Yeah. And she never strummed on it or anything like that. And she wasn't wearing footwear, which I guess is fine. She's in her own, but again, like no socks, no anything. Like I can remember this all so vividly because it was borderline traumatic but also like I'm like this is kind of a cool story to tell my buddies do you think she watched the pod and goes this is the one that got away maybe man this we're talking 14 15 years ago man i wonder where she is now crazy same apartment probably the same apartment same guitar yeah streaming this and i'm anyway i'm slightly offended i never got the phone call oh uh, yeah maybe she'll look you up Neil. <laughs> um so yeah that you, i didn't have one for you last time so no was that fun. was good that was good i'm not telling mine because i don't think it fits in the in the mood that we're at i told you my crazy story about getting somebody arrested in, in a house yeah, yeah i'll recap that, that really quick for those of you closet. who didn't watch that episode but uh i was showing houses in a brand new neighborhood nice beautiful homes like five bedrooms five bath style houses and uh i walk into the home it's all staged up just finished being built and I kind of hear some creaking upstairs, and I'm like, ah, whatever, it's a new house. I just opened the front door. It's probably oh, the, yeah, I the pressure that, yeah. going through the house or whatever. Um, so we walk around the main floor, all good, da-da-da-da, go up the staircase, and go to the master bedroom. And so we're walking in the master bedroom, like, oh, yeah, this is nice, like vaulted ceilings. This is where the magic happens. This is where the magic happens. <laughs> Realtor and, joke? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is why you get these types of clients that hold guitars in the 90s, and I have a very different client base, because I don't yeah. say that when I go into the master. Um, oh, it's not called the master. Uh, primary suite. Primary suite. And then we go in the, the en suite, and nice, we're looking at that. Okay, cool. I'm still looking at it, just checking out what they have for, like, finishings and, and this and that. And my client um, walks over to the walk-in closet and opens the door, looks inside, closes the door, and just looks back at me and goes, 
there's somebody in that closet. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, haha. Like, I thought he was joking because he I'm was so casual. And so then I walk across over to the closet, open the door, and sure enough, in the back corner, there's two kids just like hidden in the back of the back corner of the wall, just like pushed into it, like hiding behind the shelves. And I'm like, what in the hell? And there was hanging out. Yeah. Oh, I also forgot to mention like, there's oh, also tenants. sushi all over the place in that master bedroom Man. on on the nightstands and just like some drinks and some cigarettes. And I'm like, what in the hell? Anyways, I uh, try to talk to them. They won't talk to me. I call their broker and he's like, you gotta call the cops. Yeah. So I called the cops. They were like kind of casual on the phone. Um, and I hang up and then they call back a minute later and like, wait a second. You said they're still in the house with you? Yeah. That's and I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm looking right at them. And, and then they're like, oh shit. Okay. I hang up literally within, I'd say a minute, like cop cars coming down both streets, both sides of the street, come flying up to the driveway. They were not messing around. I like went downstairs all casual and like unlocked the door. They busted the door open, like hands on hips, just like, where are they? And I was like, upstairs, master bedroom in the clo- in the closet. And they just like bolted. All the cops went straight up the staircase into the master, put the guys down the ground, handcuffed the, the guys were still there? Yeah. Well, I'm I like, well, that's my time, folks. They were I'm th- going to get out now. They were they were standing in the closet and they're like, they they're like, they kind of, I remember, I think they asked to leave. They're like, can we leave? And I'm like, no. And then they listened. And I was like, well, what can I say? I'm part-time cop. Um, but yeah. Man. Anyways, then uh, cops arrest them. And apparently, these kids do it all the time. They go around to these new houses and just check the doors because they are unlocked all- often, mm. and they just post up in them overnight if they're staged. Um, and the builder press charges and the whole shebang. I remember uh, reading this thing that like someone had estimated that it's something like one in twenty houses has someone living in the attic. That you no don't know way. About. Yeah, like something no creepy chance. like that. So no chance. Check your attics, folks. There may be a five percent chance there's someone living. How there. they hey, someone's in. living in my attic right now. It's my <laughs> wife's cousin and finished attic. But anyway, what? How? No. How would they get in? Out Jane of the Eyre style. Toss her up there. How would they get in and out? <coughs> uh, I don't know. Gable vents, man. Okay. Uh, Where is they that sneak out when people are out during the day? No. I'm gonna find no. the article. I'm gonna find the article. Find me somebody in an attic. Let's make an episode of, out of that. Oh, attic that'd hunters. be a great reality show. <laughs> attic hunters. <laughs> oh man. Anyways, thanks for listening. I think it's all yeah. we're going over today. Yeah. Really if you guys have content. something you want us to chat about or go over, somebody you want us to bring on, let us know and we'll reach out. Beautiful. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Thanks so much for watching the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, press like. Don't forget to subscribe. But also check us out on Instagram and TikTok. You can find all the links below. Thanks again for checking us out.